<laughs> Good morning, Bethel. Super glad to be here. This is my first time. Uh, if you guys have masks, you are allowed to take them off now. If you feel comfortable doing so, you can leave them on as well. Uh, this is my first time being in person uh, in I don't know how many months. And so to see people and to be able to worship with the worship team, it's just been really special morning. So uh, yeah, that was, a weird, uh, that was a weird night, wasn't it, Bill? Your friend, Andrew, who you like, barely knew and met, except for like, maybe the lunch beforehand, um, that, was a, that was a good night. But it is good to be here. I've been here since uh, October. So I want to give you a little bit of who I am just because I want you to, to hear this. Just because I was from Wisconsin does not mean I was a cheesehead. Uh, I was born and raised in this area. So I grew up in Crown Point up to fourth grade. And then I uh, moved to Munster and graduated from Munster High School. Um, I was a swimmer and diver in high school, and I was atrocious at both, which uh, I have stories about that. I was basically said, uh, my freshman year swimmer, you should not do this. You should be a diver instead. I think coaches wanted to get rid of me. Uh, and then I was on the dive team, and I was mediocre, uh, but uh, I kind of got suspended because I was dumb. Allegedly, things were done, and it's just allegedly, and, uh, and I, I just was not back on the team. So I went to there, and I went to Moody after or Purdue Cal for a while, Purdue Northwest, and I actually attended Bethel Church back in 2004, 2005. I went to the Crown Point campus, part of the young adult ministry, and so I know Bethel pretty well. I went to Chicago to go to school to be a youth pastor with, at Moody Bible Institute, where I met my wife. And then uh, served in Chicago, moved to Wisconsin. We were there for nine years. So I think my family's up there. Once we moved up to Wisconsin, kids happened. And so, oh, I missed that beard. It was awesome. <laughs> and then uh, my, I made a promise. If I move you to Indiana, I'll shave the beard off. And uh, I, I had to be a man of my word, which was really humbling. But the middle one is my son, Zeke. Uh, he's nine and a half. Gavin, uh, the toothless one, just turned seven. And then my daughter, Quinn, will be uh, four in a few weeks. And so we got Zeke, Gavin, Quinn, and my wife, Amanda. She's a missionary kid from the Philippines. Uh, and so grew up in the Philippines, boarding school, really cool story of how God kind of walked with her through that and all the cool things of being a missionary kid and then moving to America where everyone speaks English. It was kind of a weird transition for her moving to Chicago, but that's a little bit about myself. I, I am from here. I'm one of you, I promise. Go Cubs, go Bears. Socks are okay. I said okay. I didn't go much further than that. Um, Let's get into the Word a little bit. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Titus chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning, Titus chapter 3. Um, and uh, if, you're, if you're able, this is something I kind of like doing, but if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I ask that we stand for this part. So we'll read God's Word, I'll pray, and then we can have a seat if you're able to. Uh, this is what God's Word says to us this morning. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient and ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But the goodness and loving kindness of our God, Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope according to, or according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, speak to us this morning through your word. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit softens our heart to see your text, to be led by the Spirit to either repentance or rejoicing or security, whatever the Spirit has for each one of us this morning. Lord, I pray that we receive it and we are molded into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I pray that we continue to be a church that loves your word and obeys your word. Help us do that this morning in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Uh, I like to think that I'm, I'm a decent communicator. Uh, I know the language. That's always the first good start. I know what to say a little bit. I know how to make sentences up. Uh, I've had a little bit of training of how to communicate, but for some reason, most things that I communicate in my house to my kids, they don't understand. They don't listen to anything I say, or at least I have to tell them nine times to do something. I don't know what it is about my words, about my language, about my tone, but they just don't get it. I have to remind them over and over and over again to do anything. Parents, it's amen, right? Amen. It's just, it just doesn't click. And so I can get frustrated with them, and yet I, I realize I'm, I'm not much better I forget things constantly. That's why I use Google Calendar, right? I have reminders set for every single thing possible. Um, my wife and I share calendars because she got tired of me duplicating things or being busy during dinner time, right? That's why we use Post-it Notes. We have all these apps that help us be efficient and not forget things. It's just kind of what we have to do. We always are having to remind ourselves things, there's a, a pastor story that I don't know if it's actually true or not, because it would be a very bold move for a pastor to do. I heard it at Moody, so maybe it's just something to teach us students. But there was a pastor one time who, uh, to help his, his congregation remember something, he, he taught a message, a sermon, and it was good. Everyone liked it. They shook his hand. They left. The next week, they all come back, and they're sitting in their seats, and the pastor gets up and, and starts the sermon with the same intro. And they're all kind of looking like, didn't he do that last week? And he keeps going, and it's the same passage, it's the same points, it's the same application. And at that point, everyone's a little uncomfortable. Like, do we tell him he did the same lesson twice? It's like, ah, uh, let's, let's not. Great sermon, great job. Third week, he does the same thing, the same passage, the same message. Fourth week, same passage, same message, same application. And the elders say, You're, why, why are you doing this? You're the same one over and over and over again. And the pastor said, I'm going to keep preaching, and I'll stop when you start obeying. Ooh, that's good, right? That's, I, that's a bold move. But his congregation apparently wasn't listening. His congregation wasn't obeying, and they needed to be reminded over and over and over again of the application. That's what Paul is doing in Titus. Titus chapter 3 it starts out with, remind them of these things. Remind them of this. And so the church in Crete, they know this. Paul has taught it on his first missionary journey. Titus has probably taught this to him over and over again, but the church forgot. 
The church needs to be reminded of what this is, of how to act, what to do, what to think, how to respond to things. And so Paul says, remind them of these things. I got something to say. They need to hear it again because they forgot. Here's the outline. If you do notes and you like outlines, here's the, the outline of these seven verses. Verses one and two. Think of it this way. One and two are reminded them to obey these things. One and two are reminders. Verse three is don't do what you used to do. It's your old self. Do these, one and two. Verse three, don't be like you used to be. Verses four through seven, it's all done because of Christ. The finished work of Christ. That's the outline. Obey these things. You used to be bad. Christ's finished work. That's the outline of the text this morning. So the very first line, he says this. It says, be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient. Remind them to do this. Now I beg Jesus that I could skip this section. Because uh, this really wasn't my, my goal. When I was prepping and, and praying, I really didn't want to talk about government. I didn't want to talk about what's going on. But this is where we landed. And so what does this mean to be submissive to the government, to our governor, to our leadership, with all these COVID restrictions, with all the things that we can and cannot do? I'm the type of person that if you tell me not to do something, mom, dad, who are over there, I want to do it, right? You say, don't do this, I do it. I just like towing that line. You know, like all those restricted signs and the doors that say alarm will go off if you go through here? I want to test it out. I want to see what's behind the door. It's just my sinful nature that I'm still trying to fight, but I love breaking rules. That was a really bad thing to say, but I do. I, my sinful flesh loves breaking rules. And so when COVID happened... And I'm brand new back to the area in a church I don't know many people at. And I'm, and I'm told, no more youth group. No more small groups. No more face-to-face. You can't be with your team. You can't be with the church. You can't worship. Go in your home and chill. That was hard. I did not want to obey. Outwardly, I did. Outwardly, I didn't have youth group. Outwardly, we canceled everything-ish. Outwardly, we didn't do small groups. I didn't meet with my team. We didn't have hangouts or parties. Outwardly, I obeyed verse 1, but inwardly, I sinned against my father. I was not submitting to the leadership. Inwardly, I was defiant. Inwardly, I thought it was dumb. Inwardly, I wanted to disobey, and I was in my heart. Do you guys struggle with that? Being told how to live your life, being told how to do work differently, being told how to do school, being told how to raise your kids, being told you can't go out to eat. Anyone enjoy being told what to do? No, we don't like that. Yeah. But here's what he's saying. When it means to submit, it means two things. It means our actions and our attitudes. It's both. Our actions and our attitude. Now, our text doesn't say specifically anything about COVID or that we need to submit and pay our taxes, but it does in Scripture. It doesn't say we need to obey the speed limits, obey the Ten Commandments. It just says we need to obey. We need to submit ourselves beneath the authority that's given to us. Uh, I, I do not think that we right now in our country are in a, a book of Daniel kind of situation. 
Do you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Right? Back in the day, uh, they were in a foreign country. They were slaves. And Nebuchadnezzar made this big, giant statue, and they made everyone show up. Everyone come, gather, and then I want you, nation, to bow down to the statue and worship. And everyone kind of moseyed into the field, and they all got on their knees, and they all bowed down to the statue except for those three guys. They stood up. They rebelled against the authorities above them, but it's because Nebuchadnezzar was commanding them to sin. A question we need to ask as Christians in America is, is our government asking us to sin? To go against the commands of our God, to dishonor our Father, to shame our Savior? Is our government going that far? And in my humble opinion, I don't think we're being commanded to sin. So I think submitting, even to things we don't like, Submitting to things, even if we disagree with, honors the person we should care most about, and that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Submitting glorifies God the Father. That's our motivation. Not because we love policies or agree with policies or hate policies. It's because Jesus. That is the person we care most about. Fifty years' time, our government might go really wonky, and we might look and have to be like the underground church. We're still going to meet. We're going to do things that we can. But we're going to honor God in everything we do. Because it's King Jesus that we serve first. The second thing it moves on to is this. It says, be ready for every good work. Now this was countercultural to Crete. Crete was self-described in chapter 1 by one of their philosophers. It says this. Chapter 1 verse 12 says, one, Cre- uh, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and gluttons. That's what someone said about their own people, their own city. They're bad people. And if you combine that with verse 3 of what the Cretan Christians were, uh, they were a bad group of people. They were selfish. They were self-centered. They were self-glorifying. They were self-satisfying. So Paul's instructions to the now saved Cretans I want you to, to serve others. And, and this is in the context of not their brothers and sisters in Christ, although they're included. It's to everyone. Submit to all the governmental authorities and then serve. It's all the same. It's all the same. Pastor Jared has been uh, sharing with the staff and probably sharing on emails. Uh, I don't read them all, I'm sorry. But I think he shared in emails what we're doing. We're doing a ton of things. We're helping uh, healthcare workers, first responders, students, schools, the sick. We're doing all kinds of amazing things for our community. And it really is exciting to see, but it's also expected. I think and I hope, I'm new, but I, I hope we've been doing that before COVID. We're commanded to serve. We're commanded to serve and love our neighbors as ourselves, the greatest, second greatest commandment. Love our neighbors as ourselves. It's kind of like when I, when I congratulate Zeke for not punching his brother in the face. It's like, do I need to congratulate you on that? You should have already not been doing that. Church, be ready for every good work. This phrase, kind of, this phrase be ready, also has this kind of like um, observant perspective. Like we need to be observing, looking, outward, focused all the time. 
Uh, the last time I ran was maybe back in 2012 in a 5K. It was miserable, hence why it's been eight years since I've ran. Uh, but runners, from what I've seen, uh, runners, they, they have those foot blocks, right? Aren't they the blocks, right? And so when runners, they're getting ready, they put their feet in the block, and they bend down, which I can't do, but they bend down, and then their heads go up, and they're, they're ready and waiting, because once the signal's off, they're off and run. They're prepared. They're ready to go. And that's the urgency. That's the observantness of the church. See a need, fill a need. That's from some Disney movie, I feel like, right? See a need, fill a need. It's from some catchphrase somewhere. That's the motto. That's the, the essence of being a Christ follower. Be ready for every good work. Maybe that's kind of a reminder of how else can we serve? What else can we do as a church? I'm sure Jared would love, love, love ideas of how we can help communities, how we can help our neighborhoods. But we need to be ready to serve. He's telling these Christians who their culture only cares about themselves. So I'm guessing they would stand out if they started a food pantry. I'm guessing it would be noticed and hopefully for Jesus' sake. Verse 2, let's read verse 2. We'll keep moving through this. There's some verses in here. It says this, To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy or humility towards all people. Uh, when I first became a youth pastor, uh, 2010, uh, it was kind of the, the peak of cyberbullying. Uh, more apps were being developed, so Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter were all peaking at that point. Uh, it was more than Facebook now and other apps like it. Vines was a thing, I think, back in the day. All of our kids were going and being creative and sharing and posting. It was really, really cool, but also teenagers felt this shield, this protection, that they can say whatever they want. They can embarrass, they can shame, they can poke fun of, and they, they didn't need to see the person cry on the other side. They didn't need to see the, the hurt in people's eyes. And so it was a really big deal in our culture, in, our, in, in Wisconsin. It was, it was a big deal. So we had many lessons about cyberbullying, what you say, your words, right? We didn't focus a whole lot on the action or your post. We didn't, I didn't care about the post. What we had to teach and what we had to show is your post revealed the biggest problem, and that's your heart. Your heart is showing when you spew evil online, students. That's what we had to keep teaching them. And it's the same here. The church in Crete, it needs to be reminded, because they're failing apparently, they need to be reminded to stop speaking evil to one another, to stop fighting and quarreling with one another, be gentle, show humility towards one another. To be honest, um, when I was prepping this message uh, Thursday, I had, to, I had to, you guys know you can snooze people on Facebook? You guys ever snooze someone on Facebook? Anyone snooze someone? Yeah, they, one honest person, thank you. I snooze people all the time. And not students, I snooze adults because the things that they post, that means you can hide their stuff for 30 days. Uh, you don't, I won't see. So I, I, this Thursday morning, my cousin posted an, an article with some ideas I was like, I, just, I can't see this evil anymore. And so I snoozed her, right? One, Facebook is not the place for arguments. Uh, and two, it's, it's going to be a losing battle, I think. But this is what it's dealing with, with us today, our application. The amount of times that we are praying for the church and we're having to have side conversations with people because of the things they post. 
it's revealing their sinful nature. It's revealing their need for Jesus. It's revealing their need for sanctification. It's revealing their need that they're not applying Scripture to their life. We have seen so many negativity posts about COVID. Sure, we've seen horrible posts about the racial injustices going on. Black lives matter, all lives matter, blue lives matter. We need to talk about these things 100%, but we need to honor Christ with everything we do, say, and think above all else. The hurt that is done by posts, the simple misunderstandings that are done by posts could be alleviated if we were more slow to speak, slow to anger, kind and gentle. Again, I want to say, we need to talk about these things 100%. Let's, let's dialogue. Let's discuss. Where are our blind spots? Where are our community's blind spots? How can, we, how can we communicate better? What words should we use? But we need to, in all things, honor Jesus with everything. We need to get better at that. I need to get better at that. I want to make clear, verses 1 and 2... Paul is not asking his people just to look good. I could say, you know what, to save all of us, let's just stop posting. That'll alleviate the problem. If we stop posting, then we're in the clear. But that's not the case. What the case is, we need to be transformed from the inside out. Jesus always looks and cares about the heart. Heart is the issue. Sin is the issue. We need to be acting like we really are regenerated people by the Holy Spirit. Our new nature is peaceful. Our new nature is selfless. Our new nature is gentle. Our new nature is truthful. Our new nature is loving. That's what we need to be demonstrating on social media, in conversations, and in our hearts. I had a friend uh, back during Obama's, one of Obama's um, candidacies when I lived in Chicago. And uh, I had a friend who... Um, who had a post on Facebook that uh, included some curse words and his opinion about one of the candidates. And I read that post, and I was a little bit confused, and I read it again. I'm like, hey, he, this, is, this is what he threw out there. So I, I, had, I, I private messaged him, and I said, hey, I just want to, I don't care about who you vote for. I don't care your affiliation, but what I do care about as your brother is how you represent Jesus. You're a Christian way before you are an American. You're a Christian way before you're a Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever. Christ is your identity first. And he disagreed. He said, I am a this Christian. Very sad. Very, very sad. Verse 3, Paul transitions, but he wants to remind his congregation, hey, do these things, do these things. Don't be like your old self. Verse 3 says this, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. The first two words here are really, really important to, to kind of remember and to hitch on, underline maybe. Uh, it's foolish and disobedient. The Bible tells us that a fool is someone who doesn't believe in God. That's the definition of fool. Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So he's telling the people, you're thinking foolish. Then he tells them that their actions were disobedient, that they broke God's law, that they are guilty, that they deserve just punishment. So he's helping the church see that their old self was 
horribly sinful. That before Christ, their only option in life was to sin. Wake up, sin. Wake up, sin. Wake up, sin. That was their only choice. They were led astray. They thought they were fine. They weren't. They were slaves to their passions and their body. He wants to give them this big framework that their thinking before Christ was foolish, was dumb. And so not only were they thinking, but now their actions, both. There's no safety without Christ. They were enslaved to sin. It's a grim first three verses, is it not? A little grim, a little bummer of a message. I understand and I agree. So that shows a little bit of the point. Because, because there's verses four through seven. This is where things change. He's telling Crete, you need to submit. You need to submit to authority. You need to obey them. You need to serve. You need to talk nice. It used to be bad. It used to be all these things. But Christ, 4 through 7, but Christ. This is where, if you've had any guilt this morning, any shame, any embarrassment, this is where the pressure is alleviated. This is where the guilt is removed. This is where the power to overcome is given is in verses 4 through 7. Let's read it again in your, in your Bibles. It says this, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul wants us to know that even if we fail at verses 1 and 2, even though we used to be verse 3, it's okay because of grace. It's okay because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. There is no point... This is a huge thing in youth ministry. There is no point in manufacturing, faking goodness. It doesn't accomplish anything. And it is impossible. So he starts with it in this. Goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared. When Jesus showed up on earth, Christmas, when he came, he saved us. We were foolish. We were envious. We were enemies of God. And then Jesus came. He saved us, not because of our goodness, our merit, our goodness, our church attendance, our going to youth group, our going to retreats, us being born in a good or bad family. It has nothing to do with our merit. Our failing, verses 1 and 2, us used to be, verse 3, is okay because it's not because of the works done by us in righteousness. That's impossible. But according to his own mercy. The good news of the world is dependent and hinges on not us, but Christ. Chapter 3 here, we see this battle. Paul reminded him, please do this, please do this, please do this. You're going to fail, but please do this. And you're like, this is, a, this is a weird, Paul. There's this struggle. And I've struggled this my early Christian walk. I battled continually with something that Martin Luther described simultaneously, at the same time, saint and sinner. How are we both? How can we be both called a saint, which the New Testament calls you saints 61 times? You are saints. 
The Bible says that we are forgiven. Acts 13, 38. Let it be known, therefore, brothers, that through this man's through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You are forgiven. I know that we are declared righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we are blameless, we are holy, we are righteous, we are good, we are forgiven, and yet I fail every day. How does that work? I don't look like a saint. I don't act righteously. I don't feel forgiven sometimes. I've been a believer for over 7,600 days. I did a general math. 7,600 plus days, I have broken the first commandment every day since. That's, that's a habitual sin, is it not? 7,600 plus days, I have broken. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment, and I fail. Now you see why sometimes we don't feel righteous, we don't feel good, we don't feel like saints. I'm left, and I was left in this dual, I know God's word, but I know my feelings. I know God's word, but I know my sin. It wasn't until I started drifting to things that were like in verse 4 through 7. That God, I can have all these things because God gives them to me. I can be these things because God has declared them to me. I want us to, um, Romans seven nineteen says this. It says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Amen? That is us every single day. And that is maybe the church in Crete. Maybe that is you this morning that we want to be good, but we can't. As a newer believer growing up, I, I struggled hard with this guilt, shame, embarrassment. I thought, I've been a believer for a year. I should be this, and I'm not. As a believer for three years, I should probably be here in my walk, and I'm not. Five years, 10 years, 20-ish years. I've been following Jesus, saved by Jesus, trying to love Jesus, and I fail. But once we accept this, once we acknowledge that we are failures and that my relationship with God isn't dependent upon me, that I, I, I can't manufacture goodness, I can't manufacture good works, everything I do is tainted with sin. My serving is tainted, my preaching is tainted, my worship is tainted, everything is tainted with sin. But because of Christ, I'm okay. Because of Christ, we can have a relationship. Because of Christ... We can show forgiveness to one another. Because of Christ, we can live together, right? This frees us up to be confessional Christians. Christians who admit, I'm wrong, Jesus is great, right? I am forgiven because of Jesus. I am declared righteous because of Jesus. I am declared holy because of Jesus. I am a new creation because of Jesus. I am justified because, you get the point? It's because of Jesus, Our students in particular, because I'm a youth pastor, it's been my world for a while, they don't feel good all the time. They don't feel Christian all the time. They don't feel adequate, good enough, 
in love with enough of Jesus. They don't feel saved enough. And so we need to continually instruct our teenagers, your kids, ourselves, our parents. It's not because of us. It's because of Christ. There's a book called Faith vs. Faithfulness that I've read a few different times to myself. And the authors say this. In Christ, we are given grace because we're sinners. We are given peace because we have troubled consciences. We feel like God's enemies, but he has told us we are his children. We are really good with God, and he is good with us. On the solid rock of Jesus and his merit, we find a sure place to rest. I want us to know God calls us to obedience. He calls us to obey verse 1. He calls us to obey verse 2. He calls us to celebrate verse 3 that we are no longer that way. There are things we need to do. We need to submit to our authorities the best as we can. We need to uh, be ready to serve. We need to speak kindly to one another. We need to stop fighting with one another. We need to speak to each other with gentleness. But when we fail... When we post things that we regret, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. When we said things that we shouldn't have said. When we don't do things, when we should have done things, we need to remember it's all because of Christ. He gives us grace, therefore we give grace. This needs to be the, the heart of the church. We need to celebrate the invocable gifts that God has given us through Jesus Christ. We need to rejoice that nothing we do can separate us from the love of Christ. Verses 4 through 7 are the most important section, I think, in Titus. Yes, we need to obey. Yes, we need to submit. Yes, we need to do things. But we're going to fail every single day, which is why it builds our love and our affections for Jesus Christ, because we, our status is good with him. Nothing we ever do say or think will separate us from God's love. So united in that, united as a church that says, I am bad, Christ is amazing, let's go out and show that. Let's be the church, let's be the hands and feet of Christ, showing grace to one another, showing love to one another, and always, always, always pointing people to the goodness of Jesus Christ.